0: And I think there's a principle that works in history, that the deeper the darkness, the brighter the light. And I think the darkness in the world now is part of a, part of a potential immense global revival.
1: Hello and welcome to First Person, a weekly conversation with special guests, I'm Wayne Shepherd, and today we'll talk with Wallace Henley, who for more than three decades has worked in the fields of journalism, government, and the church. Stay tuned as we talk about his life and his biblical perspective on today's world. I'm glad you've tuned in for this conversation. Each week, we bring you a guest who has a story to tell of God at work in their life. We talk with people from all arenas of life, but the common thread is their commitment to Christ and His kingdom purposes. If you haven't done so yet, we invite you to our website where you can stream any past interview on demand, where you can view the schedule of upcoming guests, or spend some time following the links to today's guest and topic. We're found online at FirstPersonInterview.com. Once again, that's FirstPersonInterview.com. And if you like the convenience of listening on your own schedule, subscribe to our podcast free of charge through iTunes. Also, we have developed a smartphone app for first person, and you can read the latest news about that at FirstPersonInterview.com. Well, today's guest, Wallace Henley, once served in the Nixon White House, although he was not involved in Watergate. Today, his vision is to develop visionary Christian leaders in the church, equipped to address the times. As you'll learn, he also serves as an associate pastor at Houston's Second Baptist Church, one of the largest churches in America. He's the author of many books, including Globequake, Living in the Unshakable Kingdom While the World Falls Apart. I connected with Wallace on the phone.
0: Well, thank you, Wayne. It's a pleasure to speak with you today and to your audience. Um, My story starts in Birmingham, Alabama, December the 5th, 1941, two days before Pearl Harbor. Hmm. I grew up in that city, um, came to a decision to follow Christ uh, in 1956, uh, between 14 and 15 years of age. Heard God's call at 15 to preach the gospel, committed to that. But then I drifted. <laughs> I drifted. Uh, I came to Southwestern Seminary in Texas, and from Southwestern went to uh, Germany to pastor an English language congregation. This was in 1965 when Vietnam was just heating up. Mm-hmm. My church was a military church, and uh, within a few weeks, all of my most of my members had been transferred to Vietnam and their families home. So right. <laughs> uh, we were almost stranded in Europe. So I got mad at God and said, I'm through with this church thing, hmm. and came went back to Alabama and wound up in the newspaper field, which I really, really enjoyed very much.
1: So when you say you drifted, you drifted spiritually, too.
0: Well, I drifted spiritually. I, 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 I thought about atheism a lot. I thought about agnosticism. I never could square those things logically, and so I could not make the leap of faith into atheism. I could not make the leap of faith into agnosticism, even.
1: That's an interesting way to put it, by the way.
0: Yeah, it is, and it is a leap, leap of faith. And so I said, okay, God, you you exist, you are, but I don't like the way things have worked out here, so I'm not, I, we're just not going to be friends. We're not going to be associates uh, oh. anymore. And uh, I got into the newspaper business. My my wife, we had a uh, couple of kids, and she said, my kids are going to be raised in Sunday school, so she kind of <laughs> led the way for a while there. And um got into journalism, and this was when the civil rights battle was really going strong uh, down in Birmingham, and so I covered a lot of that, wrote about it a lot, uh, had national assignments related to it. 1970, um, I was asked to become uh, an aide in the White House. Nixon had uh, decided he was going to implement school desegregation in 11 states Mm -hmm. in the Deep South that had not desegregated. And the reason why we found out was because they had been given court-ordered, unfunded mandates. They simply could not build enough classrooms and do the things the courts wanted them to do. So we got them the money, and I had the uh, privilege the joy of working on that project. But the real thing that happened to me in the White House was that a group of guys came in, and they started a, a Thursday morning prayer group. And I thought it would somehow enhance my standing uh, with a lot of people in the White House who might be at that meeting. Uh, if I went to it, so every Thursday morning I would show up. But what happened, I had a re-engagement with
1: God really? on, a, on a profound level. And what a place for it to happen, and out of what a motivation, too, right? What a strange thing, yeah. What happened was that
0: I, I was I was seeing power on a level I had not seen it before. I had written about it as a newspaper guy, but I had not felt it. I had not been in the ethos of power.
1: Now, you're talking about the political power now.
0: I'm talking about power. I'm talking about the power of, of very big people. Political power is part of it, but um, power is is hubris. Uh, the sense that in this place, the world the world bows at what happens into this in this place. Mm-hmm. Politics is part of it. But as I learned more about power, I began to understand the distinctions between power and authority. Um, I, I was fresh from the civil rights uh, era. Martin Luther King, the, the, the Birmingham police and their dogs had power. But Martin Luther King had authority. Mm-hmm. And, and there was something different uh, and I it, it arrested my attention and so I, I became very interested in the dynamics of nations what what drives nations and and I, and I rediscovered as I was part of the prayer group um, rediscovered God's connection with nations and the dynamics of power and that 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 began to turn me personally back to the Lord and a reawakening of my call when when the Watergate, uh, came down. Um, Harry Dent was my boss, and, and thank God uh, Bob Haldeman once described Harry as uh, as too much of a boy scout to be invited to the secret meetings. Harry had begun as a as a member of Nixon's inner circle. Uh, but then we began to see that we were being excluded from some of the high strategy meetings, especially in the build-up uh, of the 1972 presidential race. Okay. And we wondered why, you know. But later, uh, 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 I, I think this was in some of the Watergate tapes or some of the files where Haldeman said Harry is just too much of a Boy Scout. Okay. Harry was a good man. He was a man of tremendous integrity.
1: So you didn't get embroiled in all that.
0: So consequently, we did not get embroiled in all that. But when it when it began to break, I I. I really wanted out of Washington. I just wanted out of that atmosphere that was coming down on the city. And the, and the Birmingham News asked me to come back in an editorial slot. So uh, I accepted that position, went back to Alabama. And about, oh, I guess six months after I returned, I was, I was driving one day to um, make a speech, a political speech. I was making a lot of those kinds of speeches in those days. And it it was as, it was in another city so i had some travel time and it was as if the holy spirit just came and sat in the front seat of the car <laughs> and it was and it i could still remember the words that just just exploded in my spirit
1: you know i i've had that experience once in my life i know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> i don't right. know if it's ever going to happen again but it is powerful yeah. isn't it
0: yeah it it's it's one of those uh uh kairos <laughs> moments when 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 heaven just kind of breaks through and it, everything becomes clear and and what I heard that day, Wayne, I'm 73 years old now, and I, I was probably 30 something then, 35 maybe. And what I heard that day is still re- still resonates in me. You have manipulated your life to the edge of the abyss. Wow. I was I was in the driver's seat, like a blindfolded guy, rushing toward toward an abyss, and then I. I the strong word that came at me, and it was an impression it was an intuitive thing uh not a not an audible voice, but now turn around and go preach my gospel hmm. and it was so powerful I went home and I told my wife and and we had moved after i after i kind of pulled away from my my vocational calling uh we had moved every two years uh for about thirteen years. And so I went home and I told her, "Honey, we got to move again." And she said, "What?" And I said, "Yeah, uh, I, I think God is uh, giving me another opportunity."
1: To, so you changed to... immediately that fast?
0: Oh, immediately! It, it was just—it was just so clear. And and she said, when I said, told that to her, she said, "Well, I'm not going along with it." And boy, that just hmm. devastated me. And then she completed her sentence. She said, "I'm not merely going along with it. I insist on it because I know what your call is." <laughs>
1: You married a good woman, Wallace.
0: Uh, I really did. <laughs> Fifty-three years, counting right now.
1: So, so, so where did the journey lead you?
0: Well, at that point, uh, I, I stayed at the newspaper for a while longer, and a church uh, way down in South Alabama, across the bay from Mobile, uh, was aware of, of my decision to return to, to the to the pastoral ministry. So they called me as pastor. And I stayed at Old Spanish Fort Baptist Church for four years, and then to a church in Birmingham. And then in 1986, we were called Houston, and I've been in Houston since 1986.
1: Okay, and uh, I met you recently at Second Baptist Church in Houston, where uh, you're on the staff there. What's your role at Second Baptist?
0: Uh, I'm Senior Associate Pastor, which uh, includes whatever... Needs to be included under that title.
1: (laughs) Other duties as a (laughs) side. Other
0: duties as a side. I do a lot of teaching and (laughs) curriculum and so forth, but I also do a lot of writing, and uh, those are the things that I'm involved in now. I teach. uh, I teach uh, worldview studies for Bellhaven University, which has a branch here in Houston, and I'm very interested in that. So I'm also involved uh, in that
1: academic sphere. We'll continue this conversation today with journalist and pastor Wallace Henley coming up in the second half of this First Person program. This program is produced each week with the support of the Far East Broadcasting Company, proclaiming Christ to the world by radio. If you would like to know more about the new radio program FEBC Today with Ed Cannon, please visit firstpersoninterview.com and follow the links to FEBC Today. Every day, Ed and I bring you stories of lives changed by the gospel through FEBC. Learn more about FEBC today at FirstPersonInterview.com. My first-person guest today is Wallace Henley. Wallace is the author of Globequake. You may have seen his articles in the Christian Post online. Where I read them uh, very frequently, and uh, I can see you have that editorial background, Wallace. You're still doing that, aren't you?
0: Yes, I I, I fell in love with journalism in 1966 when I entered that uh, field, and I, that's a love that's not not been lost.
1: Hmm. Well, as you look around the world today, I know there's some things going on that trouble you and encourage you, and I want to talk about those for a few moments here. God's given you a unique background. We talk about calling a lot on this program. You you had a call. I mean, it was it was definite. It was clear. It was compelling, and you responded to it. But what do you see around the world today?
0: You know, I see great opportunity. <laughs> this uh This conflicts perhaps with uh, a lot of assessments but i 'm just reminded constantly of what isaiah what God showed through Isaiah that the people who walk around in darkness will see a great light, mm-hmm. and I think there is a principle that works in history that the deeper the darkness, the brighter the light, and I think the darkness in the world now is part of a uh, uh, p- p- part of a potential immense global revival. Uh, certainly, there's a re- every time the church goes in the catacombs, it comes out with new energy, and so it may be that that we will see a hard time. In, in the short term. But in the long term, I'm very excited.
1: Yeah. You know, we do a lot of grousing in this country about where where America is, where the church is in America, and rightfully so. But you look around the world, God God has not forgotten this world. God has
0: not forgotten his, this world. And I, I, this is probably too early to bring up this topic, but I've just finished writing a book with um, Jonathan Sands, the great-grandson of, of Winston Churchill. Oh. And as we got into that book... It's well, it's called, in fact, God in Churchill. One of the things that came through so clearly, the parallels between his time and our time, and the way that God intervened in history through him, it's a remarkable story. And so I take great hope in that. Also, wrote a book entitled Globequake, which deals with the huge change that's sweeping the world. Uh, It's as if whole continents are being redefined. Think about uh, tectonic plate theory and imagine that this is happening on a a scale that's uh, very rapid. And we're trying to stand on those plates as they shift and move about.
1: Well, let's talk about some of those changes that you see. I I mean, they have to be economic, educational, cultural. What do you see?
0: Well, I've tried to break it down into the, into what I call the core institutions of society, and, and there have been a lot of people who've done this. Uh, but, but my particular version is church, which stands at the headwaters of society, because it, it, it preserves and propagates the worldview of God's kingdom. And here I'm talking about the authentic, genuine church, not just the institutional thing, but, but the church that really grasps the, re- the, the truth of the kingdom. Secondly, the family. Education is third. I'm sorry, yeah, governance and politics is fourth, and business, commerce, media, all that falls into the Category 5.
1: But the church is at the top, and in a sense, um, haven't we abdicated that role?
0: Oh, absolutely! Because what's happened, Wayne, is that the church in the West has lost its vision for the kingdom. Uh, ISIS and other groups that are trying to stoke a haram, groups that are talking about the establishment of a caliphate, they have a kingdom vision. They have a they have a global yes, vision.
1: They do, yeah
0: at the very time that we in the West have shrunk away from this. We've pulled back to it and we've created this therapeutic Christianity that emphasizes eminence to the point that God is just one of our buddies and and, uh, Jesus is is my boyfriend and and so forth. We've lost that sense of the transcendence of God, the Mm -hmm. the awesome holiness of God and the fact that Jesus is the King. He's the King of the Kingdom. And at the same time that that we're seeing other movements grasp that. But this is one of the things that we saw and studying Churchill. Hitler had a global vision. He was going to establish the Third Reich, which is the equivalent of the caliphate, I guess you could say, in our time, or the global communist movement in another time. These are rivals to the kingdom of God, which is the kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, according to Romans fourteen seventeen, which is in direct contradiction to the kinds of kingdoms that rely on force and violence and, and uh, all the things that we're seeing, the brutality that we're seeing in our time.
1: Boy, I can't wait for that book to come out this fall. God and Churchill, you called it, huh? that's right. All right, look forward to that. Um you mentioned church at the top and then family and of course you know with family comes the whole definition of marriage. We won't get into that right now, but I'm particularly interested in what you say about education and governance and and uh, public policy.
0: Well, here's here's what has to happen. I I like to think about the stream um that Elisha confronted at Jericho when the waters went bad. And Elisha's uh, request to the elders of Jericho, when they came to him with this problem, they said, heal our waters. He said, well, take me to the headwaters. So he went up to the headwaters, and he poured salt in the headwaters, and everything downstream was purified. Somehow we have to reinvigorate in the headwaters of our culture. Church and family are right there at the top, and then education. We must invigorate... I'm not calling for every school
1: in America to
0: be a fundamental
1: Christian school. I I know you're not. No, but there are some things that have gone way awry, haven't they? Way awry. And
0: there are four... Consensus establishments, if you will, uh, writers Strauss and Howe, who, who talk a lot about history and cycles in history, uh, call these values regimes. They're those regimes that set the consensus around values. Uh, in Daniel's time in in Babylon, it was the Chaldeans who tried to propagate uh, to, to to propagate to them the values of Babylonian culture. Uh, so in our culture, there are four. The entertainment establishment, the information establishment, the academic establishment, and the uh, political establishment, mm-hmm. the, the establishment of governance. Those, those come into fundamental consensus around certain values. And then everything in, in society is driven to, to force people into conformity with that value structure. And this is what's happened to education, for example. And, and this is what's happened to go, even governance and public
1: policy. And by the way, education sprang forth from a Christian dynamic, a Christian worldview.
0: That's exactly right. I I, I teach apologetics uh, here at our church, and one of the things that we've studied recently is the is the is the birth of science um, in what was called the Dark Ages, which weren't really that dark at all. But how it sprang out of a of a essentially a biblical worldview, mm-hmm. and began with the presupposition of order and in, intellect, intelligence behind the world, and therefore reason from there. That if we if we perform certain types of experiments, then we sh- we should get certain types of results.
1: Is it too far gone? Can we get back?
0: It is, it, is, it is gone, but here's how we get it back. There is a cycle of nations. I'm going to write another book on this. There's a cycle of nations that is so clear, especially nations that, that have sought to begin with a fundamental understanding of, of the covenant that God makes with, with human beings and with societies. The first is a, is a period of, the, of ratification in which there is a ratification of consensus around uh, a certain worldview. Uh, in, in our case, we would say it's a worldview that is Judeo-biblical, Judeo-Christian in its view. So then there is a time of the relapse of memory, and I've had to alliterate so I can remember, <laughs> when people forget what they've ratified. They forget that consensus. Then they fall into rebellion. Rebellion produces certain consequences, which is which is the refiner's fire. This is the next phase when a nation begins to hurt; it begins to experience the results of rebellion. Then comes remembrance: uh, what what did we what did we leave behind? What is it we need to recover? But the refiner's fire has to get very very hot before people start asking that question. And then comes a period of repentance when people try to turn back to what they once ratified. Then comes revival which is new energy in the culture, restoration to those old principles, and the book of Judges says, and the land had rest for 40 years.
1: That's why you're so encouraged.
0: Yes, that's why I'm so encouraged. I see this whole thing unfolding. And it, and it keeps going this way. We could, we could also talk about the way time works. Time, time works, as, as we've known in the West a long time, on, a, on a linear, in a linear direction. But one of the things we've left out, And that analogy is that there's also a cyclical aspect to time. Mark Twain said that time, uh, 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 history does not repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And so there are events that repeat all across the line of history, and it's this cycle. But the key to all of history is the kingdom of God. Amen. Jesus, go ahead.
1: Well, uh, we are already out of time, Wallace, and I tell you, we are just scratching the surface of what needs to be talked about here. That's so frustrating. But we do have your book, Quest Living in the Unshakable Kingdom While the World Falls Apart. Uh, You are encouraged that God is still on his throne.
0: He's on his throne. He's intervening. He's active. It's going the right way.
1: Well, it would have been helpful to have had more time with Wallace Henley today to go deeper on the problems facing our world and the biblical answers to all the uncertainties around us. But you'll have to be satisfied by reading his books and columns. One book we mentioned today was Globequake, and we'll put a link to that book at FirstPersonInterview.com. Another book we mentioned is yet to be published, but it sounds fascinating. It's to be titled God and Churchill. Keep an eye out for that one. We'll post helpful information at FirstPersonInterview.com. And then if you'd like to comment on today's program, you can use our Facebook page for that purpose. We're found at Facebook.com slash FirstPersonInterview. Again, Facebook.com slash FirstPersonInterview. First Person is also released as a podcast through iTunes. You can subscribe at no cost. Or for the latest on the development of our smartphone app, which you can use to listen to various interviews, please check out our website, FirstPersonInterview.com. First Person is produced each week with the support of the Far East Broadcasting Company, proclaiming Christ to the world by radio. And if you'd like to know more about the new radio program FEBC Today with President Ed Cannon, please visit firstpersoninterview.com and follow the links to FEBC Today. Every day, Ed and I bring you stories of lives changed by the gospel through the broadcast ministries of FEBC, the Far East Broadcasting Company. Learn more about FEBC today at FirstPersonInterview.com. Next week, our guest will be Dina Lynn Lucado, the wife of Max Lucado, who along with Max has written a book called The Treasury of Bedtime Prayers, Prayers for Bedtime and Every Time of Day for Young Children. Learn all about it next week when you join us here for First Person. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening today, and please join us again next week for First Person.